morning. If you will, turn in your pew Bibles to the first letter of Paul to the Corinthians. Uh, That's page 1131 in the ESV pew Bible in front of you. We're going to begin with verse 17, which we ended with last week. And we're going to read through to the end of the chapter. 1 Corinthians 1.17 For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Oh, Father, that those words that we just sang would echo in this place. Yet not I, but Christ in me. Father, we ask that your spirit would do a mighty work in this place this morning as we look to your word for wisdom and power. For we pray this in Christ's name. 
Amen. If I were to ask you to think about who, who the wisest people group in human history might have been, I wonder what sort of answers you would give. Well, you might give an answer like the Greeks. Think of the Greeks with all of their philosophers and their thinkers, Socrates, Plato, Aristotle. Think of their mathematicians, their scientists, Euclid, Pythagoras, Hippocrates. That's who's in these pictures, but I don't know who is who. <laughs> one of them is holding a pyramid, and I'm sure he's one of the mathematicians, as geometry was difficult for me. I should have studied him more. Now, if I were to ask you to think of, of the, the most powerful people group in world history, who would you think of? You, you might give me an answer like the Romans. Consider their vast conquered territories, their influence on infrastructure, aqueducts, uh, uh, modern achievements, military might made them a very powerful empire. Wisdom and power. These are two qualities that the world has pursued since the beginning. Our world today very much fights for these things in so many ways. Wisdom and knowledge wins debates and it makes your opponent look silly. It outsmarts those who oppose you. Power controls people and gives you a sense of authority. And both of these, wisdom and power, can give you a sense of superiority. But what is worldly wisdom and power? And what is biblical wisdom and power? You hear the expression, Knowledge is power. For the Corinthians, it seems that knowledge is built around the self. Self-promotion. Arrogance. And it leads to factions, as we saw last week. I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow Cephas. I follow Christ. Listen, at some point... The Corinthians believed the gospel. He calls them saints at the very beginning of the chapter. They recognized that they could not achieve salvation on their own efforts. They recognized that worldly human wisdom would only fail them when it came to the gospel. It was the work of God in their lives. It was the work of God in redemptive history. But soon after Paul leaves the Corinthians to go on other mission journeys, they started to move away from this thinking. And they began to emphasize worldly human wisdom over the gospel itself. And in their pursuit of wisdom, they became arrogant, wise guys, smart alecks, know-it-alls. This is our tendency as Christians. 
to, to not be content to remain with the gospel, but rather to, to borrow the wisdom of the world and import it into the church and into our own lives. I remember when I graduated from seminary, and uh, the, the group of graduates were all sort of putting our robes on, and somebody in the room said, let's talk about like what's changed in us since we came here, how, how our, our learning has uh, grown us and developed us. And I'll never forget, one of the students said, I came here thinking I just wanted to learn to destroy people's arguments. I wanted to obliterate the liberal theology and win debates with people. That was all that I cared about. Then he said, but then I grew to understand the Christian position rightly. And God worked in my heart and moved me from a, a position of animosity and even pride to one of grace and one of humility. It wasn't that he had lost his convictions. It was quite the opposite. It was that his attitude and his methodology moved from arrogance and frustration to having a deep conviction and a heart for lost people. Worldly wisdom says, win the argument, prove the other person wrong. And this student had imported this line of thinking into his understanding of the gospel. And we are all very, very prone to do the same thing with many different things. We can make moralism the gospel when moralism doesn't convict our hearts, but rather it's only about the external, it's only about appearances. The Pharisees were moral, and Jesus calls them whitewashed tombs. They're death on the inside. The gospel is what brings life. That's what's happening here in Corinth. The, the Corinthians are importing worldly human wisdom into the church. And Paul is saying, what are you doing? What are you doing? You are losing the gospel in this way. And your methods are only causing problems and division within the church. And so Paul draws the attention of the Corinthian believers to some contrasts. Wisdom and folly and power and weakness. And again, this all starts back in verse 17 where we ended last week. I pick up on these words where it's, it, this theme is really developing here. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. 
So if the power was in the words of wisdom, if the rhetoric of Paul's preaching or argument was powerful, then it is the display that wows people and not the message itself. I am convinced that Paul could have absolutely wowed the Corinthians with his eloquence. He could have dazzled them with his brilliance. He could have impressed them with his wisdom. But he intentionally chose to preach the simplicity of the gospel without those other things so that it was the power of the cross and only the power of the cross that came through in the message. And you know what? The Corinthians came to faith through the simple gospel message. But now... But now they are beginning to look around at all the fancy, eloquent speaking and rhetoric of the Greeks, and they're starting to think that their message needs more flair. It needs to be presented in more fanciful ways. Perhaps it needs a fog machine or some fancy lights. (laughs) A darker background would do well. Or they... felt like they needed something more in their own lives on top of this gospel. The simple gospel was fine at an introductory level, but now we need more. An older, well-known preacher once sat in the back of the church of a very young and entertaining preacher in the same town where they were living. And after hearing the sermon of the young, entertaining preacher, the older, well-known preacher said, the young man gave me everything but Christ. Everything but Christ. As my Australian friends would say, All sizzle and no sausage. (laughs) Beloved, there is much that can capture our attention. It could be partisan politics. It could be moralism. It could be activism or any ism that you want to fill the blank. Those are not the gospel. They are not the message of wretched humanity at enmity with holy God, being rescued by God in his coming to earth in human flesh, in humility to bring life and light and salvation to many for his glory and for his purposes. And we did none of that of ourselves, but it was a gift. We must be careful what we import into the church. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved. It is the power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. The message of the cross, it's not a message of, of 
of eloquent wisdom from a worldly perspective. In fact, it is folly to those who are perishing, as Paul says. Why? The cross is it's foolishness to some because to, to them, the Bible is this uh, antiquated, mystical book. Uh, the teaching that people are not inherently good, but, but poor, blind, naked before holy God, it, it's foolishness. The message of the cross is foolishness to some because they love their sin. We know the reason that people think the cross is foolish. So why would we go back to the world seeking wisdom to import it into the church? What about the Corinthian church? What was it that made them change how they thought of the cross? Look, obviously at some point they understood the cross, as we've already said, that it was not by their works that they were saved, but by grace, through faith, that it hinged on the, on the death, the resurrection of Christ on the cross, that the cross represented power, but as we said, to those who are perishing, it is foolishness. God killed his son. It sounds foolish to outsiders. So why would you use the wisdom of the world when the world thinks nothing of Christ? Perhaps the Corinthians were just going back to their old way of thinking. Right? We talked about this last week, that in Corinth... You had a teacher that you looked up to and you followed, and, and that was your guru, that was your person. You followed that person. And they're all not following other people. They're only following their person, and so they create these divisions. Maybe it was that. Maybe it was that they caved to the pressures of society. Like the university student who was asked to defend his faith in class, and the professor just shreds his arguments and so out of fear and embarrassment, the university student stops going to church and stops calling himself a Christian. What Christ accomplished on the cross is real power. Paul's point is, why would you go to the perishing who have no real power or wisdom and try to borrow from them and emulate them emulate the weak and foolish to please man or emulate Christ and please God. The cross is the display of the power of God. And sometimes when we're in the church, we are too familiar with the fact that we know that the cross symbolizes power, that we forget that the cross to non-spirit-filled people looks ridiculous. It's the story that God sent his son to die the death of a criminal to save humanity. It sounds crazy. But it is that message that separates humanity into two. Perishing, between those who are perishing and see the cross as folly and those who are being saved and see it as wisdom. Then Paul quotes from Isaiah 29. This passage is a, it's a judgment oracle against Judah, whose political and religious leaders are trusting in their own wisdom and their own planning, and they're, they're making alliances with Egypt 
because they think that that is the wise, prudent thing to do when, when God is saying, listen to my prophet, trust in Yahweh, and they're not doing that. Listen to the whole passage in its context. Because these people draw near with their mouths and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, and their worship of me is a human commandment learned by rote, so I will again do amazing things with this people. Shocking and amazing. The wisdom of the wise will perish, and the discernment of the discerning shall be hidden. Isaiah's point is that God talk is cheap. That God's actions will shut the mouths of the wise talkers. The Corinthians make a show of possessing wisdom and honoring God with their lips, but it is their fractious behavior that shows, in fact, their hearts are far from God. It's evidenced. They are like Judah in Isaiah's oracle. And they will find their efforts of importing of worldly wisdom into the church will not only fail them, but will fail the church. If you want an example of worldly wisdom failing, you have to look no further than the Garden of Eden, where Satan comes in with worldly wisdom and says... You want to have wisdom and power? This is something that God is keeping from you. Then eat of the fruit. As James chapter 3 puts it, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. There's a young man who, when he was growing up, his family moved from California to Georgia. And in California, he had started to learn to play the trumpet. And in California, they were organized according to their skill level and not according to their grade. But when he came to Georgia, it was organized according to grade. And he was in fifth grade, and he kept saying, I should really be playing with the sixth and seventh graders. I'm just, my skill level is higher. And then when the music was given out, he was sitting sort of fourth part of the trumpet section. And so after class, he went and he told the music teacher, he said, you know, in California, 
I'm kind of a higher rank, and I'm typically sitting first chair. And the teacher looked at him and said, a really good trumpet player will play any part that is assigned to him. And that struck that young man even at a young age. Then Paul ramps it up a notch. Where's the one who is wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are being called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. What is Paul saying here? God has made foolish the wisdom of the world because in their wisdom, they never made their way to God. All those brilliant Greeks and all those wonderful pictures of them up there with all of their wisdom and all of their learning, and yet in all of their brilliance and all of their wisdom, none of them concluded that Yahweh is God because then they could boast in themselves. All of those industrious Romans with all of their ingenuity, none of them had real power. But God, in his own wisdom, and his power and sovereignty used these two groups in particular ways. <clears throat> the Greek language that was spread across most of the ancient world by the conquest of Alexander the Great was the language that God used to spread his gospel. It was the most understood because Greek was the common language. And the gospel was carried out on roads that were paved by the powerful Romans. But by what means was the gospel taken to people? By the wisdom of the Greeks? By the power of the Romans? No, by the preaching of ordinary fishermen from Galilee, the tractor-trailer drivers of the ancient world. Apologies if you're a tractor-trailer driver. This is a compliment. It wasn't the Harvard and the Oxford scholars. It wasn't the graduates of the military academies. It was the preaching of Paul, a Pharisee from Tarsus who encountered Jesus in real power and move from being wise and powerful according to the Jews to being nothing. God took things the world would call foolish and used them to go out and change the world, to tell rich and poor alike, weak and powerful alike, educated and uneducated alike, to tell them that God loved them and was calling them to himself that God had sent his son to die on a cross in order for them to have eternal life, that in what appeared as total weakness and total folly and foolishness, 
was actually the wisdom and power of God, the author, creator, sustainer of life itself. And the Corinthians are undoing the unifying message of Christ by looking to worldly wisdom and dividing. And beloved, we do the very same when we create groups within the church. When we gossip, when we criticize behind someone's back, when we promote ourselves, when we align ourselves with particular personalities, when we do not submit to the authorities God has put over us in the church, when we are loveless. The world says, protect yourself. Get people on your side. Seek to control the narrative. Use your power to control your situation into your favor. The world doesn't say, be servant-hearted, servant-minded. The world does not say, be humble. The world does not say, love all, in the truest sense of the word. They may use that expression. They're not emulating the words that James gave us, being pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, impartial, sincere. But we are being reminded by Paul, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. In other words, don't be in opposition to God. It will not go well for you. I find it fascinating that if you look through world history and you think of nations and armies and territories and empires, they're always fighting against the external forces. But if you're a student of history, as David McBride taught me history in high school, who prayed for us this morning, It's not the external that is the greatest enemy, but it's often what's happening inside. It is the internal that will cause failure and cause a great nation, a great society to collapse. If Christians in the church bring in the wisdom of the world and create factions and division, it will be that and not the outside world that causes a church to fail. If the church begins to pat itself on the back and not seek the welfare of the city, it accomplishes nothing and it boasts in itself. Then Paul invited the Corinthians to remember their condition when God first called them. From a worldly point of view, they had been utterly foolish to believe in Christ as the way of salvation. Listen, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God greatest expression in the Bible. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. 
God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human might boast in the presence of God. When they were called, most of them were not wise or powerful or of nobility. When they were called, they had no basis from which to assert superiority over another or to boast. And yet when God called them, they believed the simple gospel. These people that God called, these people who were according to the world were foolish and weak and lowly. They were things that were not. They are so low according to the world that their standing is things. When they trusted in Christ, they were not foolish. Instead, the world was shown to be foolish and weak. And Paul is not trying to insult the Corinthians, but to remind them that they had no basis for boasting. When they first received the gospel in their lives, they did not feel superior to one another. They were not divided. From God's perspective, nothing had changed between then and, and, and when Paul is writing this. They still have no reason to boast, to divide, to quarrel. And Paul is reminding them of this. God filled the church with people of little account according to the world so that no man may boast. And if someone was of account holding uh, according to the world, that they would see themselves as of no account before God, having a right view and standing before holy God and fellow believer. And look at how Paul concludes the chapter. And because of him or from him, you are in Christ Jesus. God has put us in union with Christ together. Beloved, we are united together. Not in our race, not in our politics, not in our wealth, not in our earthly leaders, but in Christ Jesus, who became to us the wisdom from God. He is the greatest wisdom of all. Let us stop following the wisdom of the world and recognize that Christ embodies divine wisdom, that Christ who came to serve, not to be served, the servant leader, he is our righteousness. He is our sanctification. He is our redemption. He is our righteousness. He, he, he makes us right before God because we who are in Christ, his death covers our sin. He's our sanctification. We align our lives and practical living more and more with his, by his power and his grace. He is our redemption because he purchased us for a price. That was his very blood. We owe Christ our whole lives. And that's not a punishment. That's a wonderful, glorious, freeing thing. 
And the message of all of this, Christ Jesus became the wisdom of God, bringing salvation is that all boasting will be done to the glory of God. Only a fool would boast in himself, his wisdom, his power compared to this. If you identify with this, if you at one point found yourself believing this, that Christ died achieving salvation for you, not by your own efforts, but only by his, if you identify with this and believe this, I wonder if you would stand up. If you once considered yourself wise and powerful or of noble birth, but now see yourself as weak and foolish apart from Christ, you can stand up. If you see that Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God, you can stand up. Now look around this room. Don't look at me. Look around the room. These are your brothers and sisters in Christ. The world will offer you foolishness. But remember that the world thinks the cross is foolish. If you'd indulge me just for a moment, for, for those that are near together, just put your arms around one another if you feel comfortable. Beloved, I appeal to you by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that all of you agree that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. You have Christ, a stumbling block and folly to many. You have Christ the wisdom and power of God. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let's remain standing. You can keep your arms around each other if you want. <laughs> but let us sing together with joy in our hearts for what God has given us in Christ Jesus. Amen.